Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Flowers in full bloom, warm breezes, brilliant sunlight. Nature offers us the flawless qualities of summer. And this summer especially, we are eager to leave behind the ever-present blue light of our computer screens for the blue skies of New England's shortest season. With vaccinations up and pandemic restrictions easing, we summer readers are ready to take our novels out for a day on the beach, explore literary adventures under the shade of a tree, or venture back into the nearest public library. And three of our local librarians are here with 2021's Best Stories, From Fantasy Worlds to Real-Life Social Dilemmas. It's our annual summer reading special. Joining me remotely, Susanna boristan Tukach, Senior Librarian at the Cambridge Public Library. Hi, Susanna. Hi, happy to be here. Robin Brenner, Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. Welcome back, Robin. Hi, I'm very glad to be back. And Veronica coven Madison, Reader Services Specialist at the Boston Public Library. Hi, Veronica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, this is one of my favorite conversations. Um, this conversation is part of our monthly on-air book club called Bookmark, the Under the Radar Book Club. And I love our discussions about summer reading. And I have to start the way we always do, which is to ask each of you your personal philosophy about summer reading, and this time with a little bit of a twist. Um, if that philosophy has been shaped at all by uh, more than you year lockdown because of the pandemic. I'll start with you, Robin. Sure. Uh, I think always my theory for summer is is just to get teens and and kids and tweens all excited about reading for fun and for pleasure and to perhaps explore something a little outside their comfort zone in terms of maybe try a new format, like listening to an audiobook or um, try a graphic novel if they've never tried one before. But it's always a good excuse to kind of really dig into reader's advisory and help kids find books that get them very excited about reading or to understand why reading is so engaging and important and can be very personal. Did the pandemic shape you at all, the way people had to readjust? Sure. I mean, I think one of the the nicer things we've been able to do this year is do a lot more personalized reader recommendations because one of the major ways people could contact us was to use an online form and send us all of their details of what they were looking for. And we would get back to them within a couple of days of five or six new books they might look at. And we've also, because of um, the past year, getting the new books out the door was a little harder. Uh, So it was nice to be able to really 
put out a bunch of books. And one thing we're also going to keep doing is creating book bundles that are just five books. For example, for teens, we would have three novels and two graphic novels put into a bundle. And then the kids can just come in and pick one and take it out the door without having to necessarily talk to us. Um, but that means it's our, it's a curated little box of books, which has been a lot of fun and we're going to keep doing. Uh, Veronica, what about you? Has your philosophy about summer reading changed and was it at all influenced by the pandemic? Oh, gosh. I'm well, I, I hope that what I'm about to say will will be encouraging for people and not just depressing. I, I had such the pandemic was horrible for me reading wise. I had just the worst brain fog. I could not finish a book. Um, I'm a, a pleasure reader all year long. And so I'm hoping that you know, with the advent of summer, I will be able to just get back into reading for pleasure. I've been reading a lot of manga, actually, mm. because that's the one thing that I can, you know, it only takes, you know, half an hour to read a volume, I can get through it. Um, <laughs> I'm really hoping to, you know, slowly progress beyond manga to to more books. I've There are so many books that I'm incredibly excited about. And I'm hoping that I'll be my brain will cooperate enough for me to read more of them this summer. And if people don't know, that's kind of a Japanese cartoon graphic novel experience, manga. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Jap- Japanese graphic novels, and they're and they're typically in black and white. So, um, like reading wise, there's there's not so much busyness on the page, so it's easier to focus. You know, just mm-hmm. turning pages. Uh, Susanna, what about you? Personal philosophy of summer reading still the same, and were you at all influenced by the pandemic? Yeah, I think my summer reading philosophy has remained the same, which is that I'm just a little bit more porous and receptive to new kinds of books in the summer, just with the warmer temperatures. Um, And like Robin, I challenge myself and others to sort of read beyond my comfort zone. And has it changed over the pandemic? I think that I'm a little bit more open to easy reading genre fiction like romance and mystery so I've dove into that a little bit more this year, and I understand the appeal of romances now. Well, see, I'm glad to have brought you along. <laughs> I just returned from a couple of days away, my first, and I've, you know, I don't know when. Um, and that's what I did. I read a romance um, and a memoir. So um, that's sort of where I see I'm going to be this summer. Anyway, I want to start with you guys. Um, Susanna, why don't you just take your first pick and tell me why? Yeah, so I think my hands-down favorite book that I read this year was Butter, Honey, Pig, Bread by Francesca Equiasi. And this is an author from Nigeria who now lives in Canada. And the novel has won some recognitions and awards um, in Canada, but I'm hoping that the rest of the world catches on soon because this is a fantastic novel. Um, It's a debut novel, and it tells the interconnected story of three women Kambira Nachi and her twin daughters, Kahinde and Taye. Um, And they were all born and raised in Nigeria, but the twins have scattered throughout various continents for personal and professional pursuits. And in being apart for so long, they've kind of grown apart from each other, in large part because of this traumatic event that they all experienced but haven't really acknowledged yet. Um, So we meet the twin daughters um, as adults as they're reuniting at their mother's home in Nigeria. And then through a series of letters and flashbacks, um, we learn about the journeys that have all brought them back to this time. And as the title suggests, uh, Butter, Honey, Pig, Bread, the book is full of food and 
some of the best food writing I've ever encountered. And I think you could probably successfully cook jollof rice just by reading the author's description of making it. I also love this book because of its depiction of queer romance and intergenerational trauma. And I've been telling people who I've been trying to put this book um, in their hands that this is kind of like Americana by Chimamande Ngozi Adichie mm. meets A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Wow. Okay. That's how I'm trying to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we have a, a piece of a book trailer uh, where we can listen to Francesca Ekwoyasi talk about the book a bit. Here she is. Kambirinachi was born an Obanji, a spirit, a soul who causes misfortune and misery to all she loves. Kende and Taye are sisters connected by fate, separated by trauma, driven apart, cast to different corners of the world. Ooh, that sounds good. Um, and you know I like something with uh, almost recipes in it. That, that, that works for me, too. So it's great. I'm looking forward to it. All right, moving on. Veronica, your pick and why? Your first pick. Absolutely. So top of my list um, recommendations for the summer is Black Water Sister by Zen Cho. It just came out in May, and it is one of the very few books that I read so far this this year. I loved it. Um, it is about a recent college graduate, Jess. She's just graduated from Harvard, but she doesn't have a job. She's searching for a job. She moved with her family back to Malaysia. It's a very relatable book to the new adults crowd, you know, the, the, the Zoomer generation, you know, the feeling that you're an adult, but you had to go back home, you're with your family. And as she's trying to adjust to being back in Malaysia, she'd, she'd been living in America for pretty much her whole life. And her family does not know that she's gay. So she's also closeted and hiding her relationship with her girlfriend. Um, at this very crucial juncture in her life, she becomes possessed by the ghost of her dead grandmother has a, a very important mission for her. It is it is incredibly funny, but also incredibly moving. The descriptions of food, if you like descriptions of food, are <laughs> absolutely going to get you. Um, and the, the, the character of her grandmother is just absolutely incredible. I, I wish everybody could write dialogue and cranky grandmas as well as Zen Cho does. It's a really, a really fun book. I don't want to spoil it, but the, the supernatural aspects are also incredibly well done. Oh, so you got a lot going on there. It sounds really a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, sh I should clarify this is this is an urban fantasy book. It, okay, it is. It is <laughs> there's magic as well as ghosts. Okay, and Robin, your first pick and why? So I'll continue with the food theme. Um, <laughs> there is a book I actually really loved this year called uh, Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet by Lake and Zaykemp, mm. and it is. A book where I, as soon as I hit page three, I wanted to eat everything they described on the page. Um, and the setting of the book is mainly in a family restaurant called Nachos Tacos. So it's kind of a book where you want tacos immediately. Um, but the main characters are two different voices. You get two different narratives as you go. Um, Penn, who is the daughter of the owner of the restaurant, and Xander, who's a new hire, and it's about their growing kind of bond and friendship, but it's a lot more than that. Um, there is definitely elements of romance, but a lot of it also has to do with Penn dealing with um, issues of mental health and that she has depression. And she's been working with that for a while and trying to also balance that 
with her dream of becoming a pastry chef and opening her own restaurant eventually. And then Xander is undocumented and is trying to figure out how to find uh, his kind of long lost father at the same time as being fairly terrified of what might happen with immigration. So there is definitely some heaviness in the story, but I think it's done really well. And the focus is on the found family that kind of comes in running a restaurant and how both delightful and um, hard work and everything kind of brings it all together. And I think all of the the language, the descriptions in the book are really beautiful. And both characters are Mexican-American and Mexican. So you've got a lot of language worked into the book as well. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I still, I still do want to eat everything that they <laughs> describe. The pastries sound amazing. And I love the innovation around traditional recipes, the idea of taking a traditional family recipe and putting a spin on it that's a little different is one of my favorite things to, to see people do. So it's a lot of fun. Um, now, I will note, even though we, we, we all know that these books are written well before the time that they come out. So the, even though some of them are coming out now, they've been written years before. And it's interesting that there are just in the, the first three, we've got a food theme. And in a couple of them, we have some characters uh, trying to um, be either be brave or uh, stand up for their uh, sexual identity. And I wonder if if these times, you know, we just came out of a period where a lot of people were cooking, and, and certainly it's a time where people are, are stepping up and speaking up about, you know, who they are uh, in terms of their uh, sexual orientation. Are you all more attracted to these books now, maybe, Susanna? Well, I was going to say, I think that readers in general are a bit more attracted to any book that's not by a straight white male right now, um, just in the wake of the awful police brutality last summer. I think there was a moment of awakening about hearing other voices, um, whether they're queer, trans, Asian American, Black. Um, So I think that we've seen in our library this influx of requests for books that are not by white men. Though there are some on this list, as we'll hear from, but but that's interesting. Okay. Um, what would you say to that, Veronica? I think this is something that's been, you know, a trend that we've been seeing in publishing slowly come out, that there are more and more diverse voices that are getting published in traditional publishing. Um, I do think, as Susanna said, there was a, a, a moment when the public suddenly had a a spike in demand for books by authors of color, but this demand has been building. You know, this this isn't new. It's just something that we're maybe paying more attention to. You know, these voices have been out there the entire time and maybe just haven't been getting such big publishing contracts, maybe haven't been winning so many awards. Um, But I, I don't think, I don't think it's that the books are, are new, but rather that we're paying more attention to them and that it's easier for them to get published in a way that brings attention to them. Robin, would you say the same? Yes. I mean, I think one of one of the advantages of being a teen librarian is that teen literature always pushes, um, it seems, a little bit into the vanguard of, of looking for what teens are reacting to. And teens are always demanding more representation, definitely in terms of a variety of queer identities and all different kinds of uh, writers and and I agree that there's definitely a trend away from 
what we think of as dead white men as, you know, as the standard. Um, but that's been true for a while and, and keeps getting more and more rich. And there's always room for improvement, of course, but it's been a, actually a really rich year in terms of finding all different kinds of books that are getting published for teens. And the teens themselves are really, really devouring it. They're really looking, especially in my library, there's a lot of attention paid to different sexualities and gender identities, as well as a lot of intersectionality of all the different identities you can have and having books that address all of it um, together. And I think that's just been very important to my teen readers. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Susanna Boristan-Takach of the Cambridge Public Library, Robin Brenner of the Public Library of Brookline, and Veronica coven Mattisi of the Boston Public Library. We're continuing our hour-long conversation about summer reading recommendations. Okay, Veronica, you get to pick our next one. All righty. Well, I know that we have a lot of enthusiasm in this group around One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. So I will I will do a quick book talk, but Susanna and Robin, I know you both love this book, so feel free to chime in. Casey McQuiston burst onto the publishing scene with Red, White, and Royal Blue, a romance between the son of the first woman president of the United States and the Prince of England. Um, I loved that book. It was a fabulous beach read. I highly recommend it. Casey McQuiston is now back with something completely different. Um, A time slip sapphic rom-com that uh, was pitched as a queer take on Kate and Leopold. I'm going to be honest, I don't know how many people are familiar with Kate and Leopold. So that was also a time slip romance where a, uh, a prince comes to romance a modern day woman. This one, there is a young woman on the, I believe, the Q train going to work, and she encounters a very attractive punk rocker who saves her from social embarrassment. And uh, she eventually realizes that uh, this very attractive punk rocker is not only dressed like she's from the 70s, but in fact has been on the Q train since the 70s. Um, (laughs) and, And how could romance fail to bloom from such promising beginnings? That's a cute one. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, it sounds like it's it's very cleverly written. Yeah, she, um, Casey McQuiston is, is a fabulous author. And I believe Robin told me that this this one is even steamier than uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue. So if you, if you are the kind of person who looks at the cover of a book and you say, oh, cartoon illustration, this must be, you know, completely PG rated. No. Not so. Yeah. Not okay. so. <laughs> Not so much. Okay. And it is, is delightful, though. Okay. And it's an adult book, so just so everybody knows. Um, okay. Uh, Robin, you, you pick next. All right. Let me see. What will I choose? Uh, I'm going to choose one that uh, I've particularly liked reading this last couple of months, actually, is a book called Apple, Skin to the Core by Eric Gansworth. And this is a memoir in verse. Uh, so it's part poetry, part illustrations, part family photographs. And Eric Gansworth is an author I've come to know as a really strong writer of uh, young adult fiction. And specifically, he tends to write historical fiction that involves a lot of classic rock and music and finding yourself through friendship um, and through family. And he is a member of the Eel Clan, enrolled in the Onondaga tribe. And was raised at the uh, Tuscarora Nation in Niagara County in New York. So as a 
a kind of memoirist, he's taken a lot of what you could kind of see resonating in his earlier fiction, but now you get the story of where he comes from and where a lot of his inspiration comes from. I liked the way that the prose uh, poetry really makes each point. And a lot of the memoir is, is riffing on the idea of apple, which is a slur among communities in terms of being uh, red on the outside and white on the inside. So it's a thing that's often been tossed at him in life, but he's also reclaiming it and discussing all of the ways that you can complicate it as a word and as an identity. And the language is just really beautiful. There are times when it's heartbreaking and often it's very funny. So it's a beautiful sort of memoir that I, I had been anticipating for a while and was really glad that it lived up to the hype. Um, if you can get the audiobook, you can also hear him read it, which is not always the best idea for an author to read their own work, but in this case, I think really works well. And we have a little bit of Eric Gainsworth explaining the intent behind his memoir, Apple Skin to the Core. It began as an idea to reduce the usage of the racial slur, apple, which some Indians use on other Indians. As you might guess, it means red on the outside, white on the inside. As I considered it, I wondered where it had come from, and I could only guess it was originally meant to hurt those Indians who'd been forced to go to government boarding schools and who then tried to come home, finding challenges in fitting back in with their communities. So that's a little bit of his voice that people can uh, anticipate his reading. I do like it uh, when uh, authors can really read their work well. But as you say, it really does depend on who's doing the reading. It definitely (laughs) depends. All right, Susanna, you're up next. Yeah, so as we enter this postponed Olympic Games summer, I wanted to highlight two books that uh, might give you a renewed appreciation of the athletes competing in the Olympics this summer. And the first of those is The Happiest Girl in the World by Elena Dillon, who happens to be a local Massachusetts author. And it's a very well-researched novel about Sarah, an elite gymnast who is striving toward a spot on the Olympic team, regardless of how much sacrifice it takes for her and her family and the pain that it takes to get there. Um, And in the wake of what the past few years have revealed about the abusive underbelly of the sport of gymnastics, um, this book does not shy away from confronting that culture. And it sort of sets out to reframe how we think of gymnastics and whether its demands on athletes' emotional and physical well-being are really necessary. Um, And actually, this was the first novel that I've read that brings us all the way into the COVID era. So the the author must have had to rewrite the ending Mm. to um, explain the, the postponement of the Tokyo Olympics, which was an interesting twist. What is the age range for this or is this an adult novel? This could be for a teen or adult audience, but mm-hmm. there is, you know, a content warning for sexual abuse okay. and it it does take from from reality in that way. Okay. And the other book um is Bravey by Alexi Pappas. And this one I listened to because the author reads it and I do enjoy when they read their own work. Um, and also the foreword is by Maya Rudolph, and she reads the foreword, which was fun. Mm. Um, and in this book, um, this is a memoir by, again, Alexi Pappas, and she is a Greek-American long-distance runner who competed for Greece at the 2016 Olympics. And you may also know her for her feature films Track Town and Olympic Dreams, which she co-directed and acted in, and which also bring the lives of elite athletes to the screen. Um, they're also very great. I highly recommend them. And in this memoir, she writes really candidly about the hardships and dedication required to achieve her goals athletically and artistically. 
Um, and it's raw and funny and entertaining. I'd recommend this to not just athletes and aspiring athletes, but anyone who's struggled with mental illness or is striving to achieve any sort of goal in their lives. Um, also, there is some behind the scenes glimpses of what being at the Olympics is like, which is pretty fun. Do you know why Maya Rudolph, people may know her from a Saturday Night Live and other roles. She's a comedian and actress. You know what their connection was? I think that because of Alexi's acting career, Mm. she had some connections with SNL cast members. And I think that's how they met up. Okay. All right. Let's start our round robin again. Uh, Veronica, next. Sure. All right. I will go for something completely different. So I, I hope everyone uh, knows who Stacey Abrams is. She's probably the person most responsible for flipping Georgia Democrat in the last election. Um, tremendously influential politician. She may or may not know that she actually started out as a romance author writing under Selena Montgomery. Um, I'm very excited that her books as Selena Montgomery, I believe, are going to be re-released relatively soon. But she also um, wrote her first novel under her own name, While Justice Sleeps, which is a thriller set inside Washington uh, surrounding a Supreme Court justice who has fallen into a coma. I will be honest, I have not read this, um, but it sounds incredibly interesting and I think will also be very topically appealing to a lot of people this summer. And I cannot overstate how much I admire Stacey Abrams. I think that it'll, it'll be a really fun read. Well, it's getting rave reviews. Um, and uh, let's listen to Stacey uh, talk to CBS this morning about Avery Keene, the protagonist of While Justice Sleeps. She gets dragged into the story where she has to execute this power of attorney, this responsibility for a Supreme Court justice, but without really having the authority to make anyone do what she needs them to do. And she's got to stay alive while she tries to do it. Now, I will just say that's a great plot twist. And I'm very excited because I have original Selena Montgomery's, which are now going for $100 a piece. So I'm about to cash in. <laughs> I think. Read uh, them first. <laughs> no, I read them. I have, I, have all, I have a huge collection of black romances that go way back. So it's probably quite valuable in general. But um, I have hers up on recommendation of a friend at that time. And so I've read her, you know, and it was years later that I found out. Uh, they were actually written by Stacey Abrams. So I have this downloaded on the uh, Kindle and I'm ready to go. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Which reminds me while I'm, it, I'm saying that, have you all seen any change in the uh, usage of Kindles or are people because of so much screen time saying, I got to have a book that I can turn the pages? I did both in my recent time out. So I'm just wondering what you're saying. Susanna, do you have any idea? Yeah, well, we have some statistics from the library that showed us that there was a jump in ebook usage, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, but it's continued to last throughout. And it just takes longer to get a physical book from the library these days. So people are, you know, finding the joy in getting ebooks immediately on their Kindles or other devices. Robin, have you noticed anything? 
Yes, we we saw a huge increase in usage of both um, Overdrive and Hoopla are the two kind of categories that we use to get books out to folks uh, digitally. And there was a lot of folks who were looking for audio that way as well as eBooks. And uh, during this past year, we did a lot of helping over the phone uh, with reference questions about how to set it up and how to make sure they were downloading a book. And people were delighted that they were able to get books, you know, very rapidly that way. So I saw a definitely a big uptick in people just learning about what we had and that you could get books that way. And we still had a, a lot of reserves, of course. We did about 500 to 1,000 paper, you know, print reserves every day. Um, but at the same time, the, the ebooks and audiobooks were clearly going way up as well. Veronica, what about you? There was definitely a huge spike in, in digital usage. When the library was closed, you couldn't get a library book any other way. I will say that working both over the phone and, and on a desk at the central library, we do still get plenty of people who, you know, you can tell them like you'll get it much faster if it's an ebook and they will still say, no, I'm sorry. I really, I really only want the copy that I can hold in your hand, in my mm-hmm. hands. And, you know, I, I will also say I have become one of those people myself. <laughs> mm, I understand that. No, I, I do. I really do. Because I, I, I brought my Kindle on this little short trip just because I had downloaded something on there and I hadn't had a chance to read it. But I brought a book with me. And I, you know, then I'm there. I have both of those things already. And what do I do? Buy another book. Of course I do. <laughs> because that's what I do. <laughs> that's what disposable income is for. <laughs> All right, uh, Robin, your next pick. Uh, I'm going to go towards one of my favorite genres that I like to read over uh, the summer, but really all the time, I suppose. It's just a really good thriller. Uh, I like really good suspense. And one of my favorite YA authors, and she's also written for adults, is Tess Sharp. And her latest book is called The Girls I've Been. Uh, And in this case, this is one of those books that starts and that just doesn't let up for the rest of the book. So you're going to kind of be tense the entire time. And it starts uh, with a young woman named Nora O'Malley. And all you know in the beginning is that she is in the uncomfortable situation of having to go with her ex and her new girlfriend to the bank in order to deposit some money that they raised for a charity. And it's just an awkward sort of situation. And then the bank gets robbed. And they have to figure out how to deal with the situation that's unfolding around them. And what most people don't know that is that Nora was actually raised by a con artist. Uh, her mother was a kind of legendary con artist who would uh, target bad guys for her cons. And she used her daughter in all this. So he, she trained her daughter to be her accomplice in all of this con game. And... Um, What makes the book so interesting is that Nora has been trying to shed that. She's trying to get away from the kind of automatic training of lying and deceiving everybody around her because that's how she was raised. But at the same time, of course, in the middle of a bank robbery, all those skills come to the front and she starts to try to figure out how to make sure that everybody survives. So it's a really a great thriller. She's a a great character. All three of the characters actually are really well drawn and it's a book that also does, again, tackle some tough topics of um, a kind of history of abuse and dealing with a kind of a warped childhood and how to escape that and how people can help you with that if you, if you open up a little bit. But that's very hard for her to do. Mm. So it's a great, you know, you kind of flip the pages very fast, but there's also a good heart to it. Um, is uh, Tess Sharp normally a YA author? 
She started in YA, mm -hmm. and then she also wrote an adult book called Barbed Wire Heart, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorites. That's similar kind of thriller vein, um, and uh, but she's done both, so I think she she flips depending on wh where her writing is taking her at that time. Okay. Well, coming up, um, we're going to continue our conversation with suggestions for graphic novels, children's picks, beach reads. We're continuing our hour-long summer reading special. More of our conversation next on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. back. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. We're using the full hour for our annual summer reading special. Joining me, Susanna Boristan Tukach, Senior Librarian at the Cambridge Public Library. Robin Brenner, Teen Librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. And Veronica coven Madisey, Reader Services Specialist at the Boston Public Library. Well, let's dig, dive, dive right back in. We can dig in too, but we can dive back in um, with you, Susanna, with, with your next pick. Yes, I have a book from a household name, Jhumpa Lahiri. Uh, you probably mm. know her for the namesake and the Pulitzer winning Interpreter of Maladies. Um, but she just released her first work of fiction in eight years. It's called Whereabouts. Uh, what makes this novel different is that she wrote it originally in her non-native language Italian, then translated it to English herself. Um, and that sort of results in this more pared down, darkly comic voice than what we've seen in her previous novels and short stories. Do we know um, why she no did that? Why did she do that? <laughs> she has relocated to Italy and just took it upon herself to learn Italian and oh. become fluent in it and she has been writing in it for the past uh decade or so she put out a non-fiction work in, in italian but this is the first fiction okay. that she has mm -hmm. um so this novel chronicles the day-to-day -day life over the course of one year of a middle-aged woman uh, teaching at an italian university and every chapter is sort of framed by a different location um, as the title suggests for example a market a yard sale a specific bridge in the city in which she lives and it doesn't sound like much really happens in this book, uh, but there's this profundity in the brief encounters she has with people in the town and in her internal life that makes this actually kind of a page turner. Uh, I read it while sitting on a sunny patch on my front porch, and it was a really light but deeply intimate reading experience. Which I think describes a lot of her work, uh, actually, in the past anyway. You know, you just yeah. get swept away. Um, with how she tells those stories. All right, Veronica, next. All right, I'm going to impinge slightly on Robin's territory by recommending a children's book this time, um, The Tea Dragon Tapestry by Kay O'Neill, which is the third book in a graphic novel series for children. And it's a little hard to describe. It's it's a very pastoral story about you know a peaceful country where there are these tiny dragons who grow tea on their backs. Um, and this, I, I realize this sounds completely bizarre, but it's, it's an incredibly heartwarming series about valuing yourself for yourself um, rather than what you can do. I felt that this third book really got into that in a, in a very affirming, gentle way that, that both children and adults 
um, can appreciate that, you know, you're not only valuable for what you can do for other people, you're, you're already valuable, you're already a person. And really about um, the way communities support each other. I think the tea dragons are a really beautiful metaphor because they're, they're these tiny pets and they're very high maintenance. And so not, not that many people want to take care of tea dragons anymore. And the, the protagonist is a, you know, like a, I think a teenage girl. And, you know, she values the tea dragons for, for being beautiful and for, you know, the enrichment that they provide in her life and, and learning to accept that it's, it's okay that they need extra care. It's okay that, you know, they don't have to contribute to society to be valuable. Um, and it's a, a really beautiful reading experience. The art is absolutely gorgeous. It's these like mm. beautiful, soft pastel tones. I, I really highly recommend the whole series. But, it's, you know, the third book is delightful. The Tea Dragon Tapestry by Kay O'Neill. So is this, uh, you said, you said, described it as a children's book. So it's not YA. What, what age range would you say? it? You know, I, Robin would probably be better at this than, than me. I think, you know, from pre, preteen on up would okay. probably be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and younger children, you know, younger children could still appreciate the art, even if they're not, you know, fully clocking the, the whole metaphor with the dragons. Mm, I got it. Yeah, no. We have a, the Tea Dragon series uh, is, I think I actually do have it in teen just because teens like the art, but it, it's also fundamentally we put it in tween, which for us is fifth to seventh grade. Okay. And that's a good a good space for it. All right. Well, I have a children's book to recommend by a local author. I bet you all know Jabari Asim. Um, He has a book called Whose Knees Are These? It's one of those, you know, fat books. Uh, you children's authors can describe it where you just turn and it's like one sentence on each page. I don't know what you call those. It's for the youngest, youngest kids that for parents to read. Um, oh, board, to, board books? Board like books. Thick, Thank you. Pages. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm calling them fat books. They're board books, <laughs> um, which is interesting because, as you may know, he writes all kinds of stuff, but this is brand new. Um, here's an excerpt from Jabari Asim's Whose Knees Are These? No one has to wander far to see whose knees these are. They belong to that cheerful chap sitting on his mommy's lap. These knees are lovely, it's true, and I know they belong to you. I just think it's cute. I don't even know how people come up with the one sentence to put on the board books myself, but I think it's very difficult to write uh, children's books. But while I have you, those of you who look at this work and assess whether it's, it's value, there are a lot of them written by celebrities this year, beginning with Meghan Markle. I'd love to know what you all think about the ones that are written by celebrities. Are they pretty good? Is there anyone that you would recommend, Robin, that you've come across? One of the authors that I'm always pleased has made such a fun career out of becoming a writer was Chris Colfer, who was, of mm. course, originally on Glee back in the day. Yeah. Um, but uh, but his books are enormously popular, the Land of Stories books. Um, and those are chapter books, but they're they're just continued to be very popular. And it makes me happy that that, that has worked out. Um, so I think, as always, you know, there's definitely the attraction of, of seeing someone that you know who's famous, you know, giving a, a, a book a try. But uh, I think uh, often they're very beautiful and can be lots of fun. Susanna, what, what's your next pick? So a book that I think was sort of overlooked this year, unfortunately, was Migrations by Charlotte McConaughey. And hear me out. This is like I call Station Eleven meets H's for Hawk. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's narrated by this sort of enigmatic narrator, Franny Stone. And she is in Greenland, where she's on a quest to follow a few of the last Arctic turns in the world. 
on what might be their final migration to Antarctica. Franny convinces a local commercial fishing crew in Greenland to let her hitch a ride on their fishing boat, and she's very underprepared for the travel conditions, to say the least. And as they venture further from the shore and further into the peril of the ocean, uh, we start to learn about Franny's real motives for chasing these endangered birds. And it starts to be revealed that Franny has carried some pretty heavy baggage to Greenland, not literally, but figuratively, mm-hmm. um, which she's forced to sort of unpack by living in close quarters with this motley crew of shipmates. Um, and this is an epic adventure book on the surface and also a commentary on climate change, but it's also a deeply intimate story and full of complex characters. Um, I can't really do the book enough justice by describing it, but it's fantastic. Okay. Robin? Um, I, I think I'll recommend a couple of graphic novels since we were discussing them. Um So one that I really loved that is a a little bit similar to the Tea Dragon books is a book called Girl Haven uh, by Lila Sturges and Megan Carter. And it's a book that starts off with a very classic sort of fantasy premise in that the lead character is named Ash and their mom left home three years ago and disappeared. And they've never really figured out what happened to her. Um, But she had always written down and created all these stories about a fantasy kingdom, which was known as a place only for girls. No men and boys were allowed, and it was full of fantastical creatures and landscapes. And then, of course, through uh, a process of uh, taking some friends with them, they end up traveling to this fantasy world and discovering it's all real. And it has a lot of the tropes that I think we all, if you've grown up reading fantasy that you kind of remember with fondness. So you have like talking rabbits and you have magical horses that have ridiculous names and are super kind of beautiful. Um, there's a looming evil that's threatening the the, the world and all of that. Um, but what's really fundamental to this story is that it is all about gender identity and gender and that Ash is uh starting to realize that they're trans and and figuring out what that means. And this is a tween book. So it's the very kind of younger side of teen into tween. And I think uh, the the way they deal with it is really nicely done um, and is, is not as simple as it seems. This idea of like there being a girl haven and no boys are allowed, it first makes it seem like it's going to be very binary in how it talks about it. And it's not. So I really loved it. We have a lot of younger readers that are looking for ways to talk about identity and as a as both a fantasy adventure and as a way to get into those those discussions. I think it's really solid. Hmm. And you said you had another one. Oh, the other one I just wanted to bring up was Jukebox um, by Niri Chinani, which is uh, the creator of a previous graphic novel called Pashmina, which was also lovely. And this one is one that resonated with me personally because it's a lot about relating to your dad through music, which I did as a kid. So there was a lot of playing of albums in my household and my dad and I bonding over the various music that we listened to. And and this story is, is very much that story where... There's uh, uh, two cousins, uh, one is uh, Shaheen, who's 12, and Tanaz, who's uh, about 15, and they end up traveling through a magical jukebox that takes them to the time and place that that album was playing, and uh, on a journey to discover um, Shaheen's dad, who has gone missing. And the artwork is really lush and beautiful and colorful, and the kind of journey through musical history is also really really fun there was a great playlist at the end that lets you kind of see uh the music that they were actually listening to um and it ends up just being a really nice story about family and what connections work and ways to make sure that you keep reconnecting um so that's another one that i was really excited to see coming out this summer 
So question to you, Robin, is um, did the fantasy interest or the interest in fantasy books go up when you're living in a situation where the reality is you want to escape from every day? I think so. I, I think there is there's definitely a, a look for lighter fantasy as well, something that you can kind of it's it's very much the same romance idea that you want a book that ultimately you feel confident has a happy ending. Um, and so people were looking for that escapism aspect of fantasy. So less the kind of nitty gritty urban fantasy and more the kind of let's escape to another place that's uh, different and perhaps more magical than here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. OK. All right. Veronica. I think for for my next pick, I'm going to hype The Devil Comes Courting by Mm. Courtney Milan. Courtney Milan is one of my absolute favorite romance authors of all time. Um, And this this is the third book in a series called The Worth Saga. You you don't have to have read the other ones. Um, It's a very radical shift in setting. I will will preface this by saying that if you loved Bridgerton, if you Mm. are looking for more stuff like Bridgerton, you're like, I really want historical, historical romance, but I want it to not all be about white dukes. Um, (laughs) Courtney Milan is, is, is an author that you want to check out. And this one um, is, is a very interesting choice. This uh, book takes place in, in China. Um, The heroine is a transracial adoptee she's a a chinese woman who was taken in by white missionaries and so um like courtney milan has increasingly over her career i think been exploring you know kind of concepts of racial identity um in in her romance novels and so i'm i'm very excited to 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 read through this one she she released it really without much notice or promotion. So I think it's going to be more of a sleeper hit. Mm. Um, but I, I do think that definitely for fans of Bridgerton, fans of Courtney Milan, and if you've never heard of Courtney Milan before, it's totally fine. You can start with this one. Excellent. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Susanna boristan Tukach, Robin Brenner, and Veronica coven Madisey. In this special one-hour discussion, we're talking about which books you need to have on your radar this summer. I just always like to remind people at this point of the conversation when uh, librarians are raising uh, romance novels that romance, as a category, outsells the combined every other category of books. Just just making a point. <laughs> it's Justice huge. Justice for romance. <laughs> <laughs> it is huge. So uh, make fun of it if you will. But a lot of people are reading it who say they aren't. <laughs> and, uh, and I certainly am reading it. And I say I'm reading it. So it's great. I always have. Um, Susanna. Yes, I, I have come out on the air as being a romance reader <laughs> today. Um I am going to fit in a graphic novel. Actually, it's a graphic memoir by the one and only Mm. Alison Bechdel. And this is her first book in almost 10 years. Uh, The title is The Secret to Superhuman Strength. And you may know Bechdel as the author of Fun Home, which was later adapted to that Tony-winning Broadway musical. Um, This is another graphic memoir, this time about Bechdel's lifelong obsession with exercise crazes. She takes us through every decade of her life and the specific exercise phase that defined it. So whether it was biking, spinning, yoga, she's tried it all, collected all the exercise gear. And what's surprising about this book is that she balances her own story with these mini biographies of famous thinkers, Margaret Fuller, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, as she starts to understand that her exercise fixation is more about a fear of death and a search for meaning 
than about a health regimen. Um, and as always, the illustrations are beautiful and full of details. Every page is like a Where's Waldo page. There are so many things to find. So I will be rereading that one. And I also like to point out that uh, Allison is a MacArthur Genius winner, um, among her many other accolades. She has so many, but, you know, that's that's another one, too, which, of course, just celebrates the creativity that um, all of these um, honorees bring to the table. And uh, again, a question to you, Susanna, not again, but following up my question about um, fantasy to Robin, graphic novels um, are no longer a novelty, it seems to me, that they are very much entrenched in and how people, you know, and what people select to read, that graphic novels are no longer just something that are kind of curious or quaint, but they are just as much a real genre as, well, we're talking about romance, to pick another one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I think graphic novels and graphic nonfiction have really um, arisen the past couple of decades, but they they're able to tackle some pretty complex topics in a way that is sometimes more approachable. Um, so in some of the best nonfiction books I've read have been graphic novels because I can sort of see and feel uh, the stories tactilely. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and I note uh, Robin on uh, your list of looking forward to is one by another one by the late Congressman John Lewis and his writing uh, partner, graphic book partner Andrew Aiden, um, mm-hmm. called. Uh, Run book one. He did mm-hmm. did a couple called the March, March two, I think. So again, just to underscore the fact that graphic novels are uh, very much embraced by all ages and deal with all topics. All right, Robin, it's your turn. All right. Um, I think I, this is the kind of book where I don't know how much I need to talk about it because I feel like most people know it's coming, but I'm still excited. So I'm going to talk about it. Um, and it's called The Blackout. Mm-hmm. And it's by six really outstanding YA authors. So it's Daniel Clayton, Tiffany D. Jackson, Nick Stone, Angie Thomas, Ashley Woodfolk, and Nicola Yoon. And what I love about these kinds of collaborations is that the basic premise of this book is that there is a blackout in New York City. And um, there are six different stories that are told that are about Black love kind of in different forms. And each writer takes a different story that they're telling. And there's one through line of uh, a pair of characters that are walking back from um, their job to go home in the middle of the blackout. And it's just one of those things I've heard about for a while and all of the authors have been talking about it and I'm very excited about it because they're all great on their own. And I think seeing how they build the story together will be really interesting and and delightful. I really love um, interconnected stories where authors get to kind of play with each other's worlds. And this is the kind of sequence where you'll see like one set of characters will appear in the background of another set of character stories. And I love that kind of setup for a book. I love the fact that they're doing this cooperative uh, project as well. And for those who may not recognize some of the names, Angie Thomas is the author of The Hate You Give, um, the the book that that uh, turned into a movie and, you know, had uh, a lot of people are still reading it and talking about it today. It has a, a sequel and other things. But there are many other, other authors here who are well known um, as well. But she probably is the best known in that group. All right, Veronica. All right, I will 
here's I'm I'm going to give people a a teaser for a book that's not going to be out for quite some time. So mm-hmm. be patient, place your holds now. Um, Velvet was the night by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Um, this one comes out in mid August, so it's a late summer read. I have been following Silvia Moreno Garcia's career for quite some time, and I'm really fascinated by the way she just refuses to let herself get pigeonholed. Um, that you know she starts with you know she writes a great book in one genre and then she says okay you know on to the next um so you you may recognize her name from mexican gothic which was a uh oh right okay gothic Mm -hmm. romance um this past year which by the way still has holds at the boston public library it has had incredible tenacity and her next book is a historical noir set in 1970s mexico city um so not a fantasy but uh it's, it sounds really, really interesting, and um, you know, talking about the student protests in, in the 70s in Mexico, and also um, rock and roll romance comics, which is interesting. I'm not really, really familiar with it, but I know that that was, that was a, a big, you know, we, we talk about graphic novels. They haven't always been the graphic novels that we think of today. Um, there used to be a huge thing about you know, you would read your your little romance graphic novel, um, and you know, a noir kind of mysterious, dark, so very different. But it sounds really great. Mm, it does sound really great. Well, we have just enough time to circle back around to each of you for one more quickly, and um, I want to remind uh, our our listeners that your full lists, uh, which are much more extensive than we're getting to here on the air, will be posted on the web and on our Facebook page, along with my list of books that I'm suggesting as well. Um, all right, so here's our quick round, Robin, and we'll start with you, Robin. <laughs> okay. One, one more. Um, <laughs> I was going to add one more romance to the pile. Uh, this is one I really enjoyed uh, for its specificity. It's called A Honey and Issues Guide to Fake Dating by <laughs> Adiba Jaigudar. And I really love fake dating as a trope, which I think a lot of people do. Um, and it's been a kind of fun trend to see why novelists tackling that that kind of setup. And, and that's the basic idea that a character gets themselves in a high pressure sort of situation and makes a fast decision to lie about having a date for somewhere or being in a relationship. And then they usually have to convince another person to pretend to be their um, boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And in this case, um, this is uh, two Bengali girls that are living in Dublin, Ireland. And one of them has just recently told her friends that she's bisexual and they kind of dismiss it and say, well, she can't really be because she's not dating a girl. And so she just blurts out that she's dating this other girl that she knows through her community, Ishu. Um, and then Ishu has a whole other reason for wanting to pretend they're dating involving wanting to be head girl at their school. <laughs> so the two of them are, are very distinct in their voices and it's told in alternating chapters. Um, but I really love the the way that they have a slow build sort of romance because of course the feelings start to become real. And uh, But it's also just really great to see a book about two Bengali girls and especially in Ireland, there's a whole another layer of description and that makes it a really great story. Um, but the romance is just really sweet. It is definitely a teen book. That's one thing I'll say that looking at the cover, it looks younger. Um, the art on the cover makes it look like like it might even be a, a, a chapter book for older kids, but it's definitely a teen book. Okay. One more from you, Susanna. Yeah. So those of you who may have gotten into a reading rut this year, I like to recommend short stories as a starting point. 
And I'd like to recommend Filthy Animals by Brandon Taylor, um, which comes out in late June. And this is the highly anticipated short story debut by him. You may have read his novel last year, Real Life, Mm. which is about the experience of a graduate student um, in the Midwest um, as a young Black man. And Filthy Animals is, uh, again, his first short story collection, also set in a Midwestern university town, so the setting may feel familiar. Uh, But these stories, many of which are linked to each other, reveal the interconnectedness of the characters, um, and each one sort of peels back another layer of each of the characters, most of whom are creatives and academics in this university town. Um, And if you enjoy reading about complicated relationships, uh, this is a good book. (laughs) And short stories are all the rage now, so it's even though they're very difficult to do, so this is interesting. All right, Veronica, last one. Last one. All right. Um, As you may or may not know, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. I've been making a real push to read um, more books by Asian and Asian diaspora authors, Um, but you can read them all year long. You don't have to wait for May. Um, So my my last recommendation is Dial A for Aunties by Jesse Q. Sutanto, (laughs) um, which... uh, how to pitch this. So it's it's a it's about a, a young woman who runs a wedding planning agency with her extended family, her mom and her aunties, um, and she has just accidentally killed someone, and calls the calls the auntie calls mom and the aunties in, and they're you know they're going to fix all of this, and it's a sort of weekend at Bernie's situation where they're trying to <laughs> deal with the body, um, <laughs> while also planning a massive wedding and I, I believe the body ends up accidentally like shipped in with the wedding supplies <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just sounds amazingly funny um and I'm I'm I haven't read it yet um but I am very excited about it um both both for Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and just in general it sounds hilarious it's at the top of my list too several people have recommended it so I'm looking forward to it well once again All three of you came with the heat, (laughs) giving us a variety um, uh, that we will enjoy and can enjoy not just the summer, but as uh, you've all said, all year long. I thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, thank you. Susanna Borisan-Tukach is a senior librarian at the Cambridge Public Library. Robin Brenner is the teen librarian at the Public Library of Brookline. Veronica Coven Mattesey is a reader services specialist at the Boston Public Library. Well, that's it for this special one-hour edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. We're on the web at gbh.org, news under the radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubeli and Angela Yang, and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. 